This is the official Sinistrous Madness Porno Mats uh, special. Uh, it's just me and uh, three guests. And we're going to talk Snyder Cut. Zach? Wow. Snyder's Justice League. We got Field Anger. Yeah. We've got Pulse Persephone, a.k.a. Melissa. Yeah. And we've got... Uh, We've got Kyle. We've got him in here. This is him. Wow. Yes. No, no social media. Nothing attached to this identity. No. No. He went through an experience with Keenan. Yes. And it's sort of like a Twin Peaks Agent Jeffries situation where we talk to him. He's like a big teapot. Yeah. He's neither human nor spirit. He exists in some sort of different realm and we can communicate with him. Yeah. Yes. I, I am currently trying to explore ways to uh, resolve this, but who knows what may happen. Yeah. Stay tuned, folks. I guess it'll everything's going to work out, I think. But this week we had, you know, one of the most important moments in the history of cinema. Yeah. True. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Me too. A post, post, postmodern cinematic experience brought to you on HBO Max, the home of Selena plus chef. Yeah. Selena plus chef, a whole lot of things too. You got, you got all those HBO shows. I, I love HBO Max. I think they're doing great work and I want to thank HBO Max for bringing us the Snyder cut. Um, four hours of it. I started watching it again. Actually, I was, uh, I've already watched it twice. Yeah. Well, I want to watch once it Once I finished it, I was like, I want to watch this again. Yeah. I was going to watch the theatrical set for comparison again, which I did see and I did like, but I want to watch. I'm like, nah, I think I want to watch the Snyder Cut again. But uh, I watched the theatrical cut on Wednesday or whenever it was right before the Snyder Cut premiere, just to remember what on earth that movie was. Did you see it in the theater, Melissa? Or I did. It? I saw opening day. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the first time I've ever gone to a theater alone, and then it was it was a uh, kind of soul crushing. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had low expectations, so I was like, ah, that worked, you know, <laughs> like like I knew what was gonna, I knew kind of generally what we were getting that it was kind of what had happened. Uh, so I wasn't expecting like a real true follow up to Batman v Superman, which I really did like. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, I watch every comic book movie eventually. Same. Um, and then I like like two of them. But I just <laughs> neurotically, I think the last comic book movie I, I saw that I actually wanted to watch again was Ant-Man. Hmm. Like I watched Ant-Man four or five times. Yeah. But every other one, I'm just like, it's sort of a dreary experience Lots of numbing fight scenes that yeah. just do nothing for me. Uh, I remember I didn't like Batman vs. Superman. I didn't like Man of Steel. I remember Justice League just felt like a train wreck, right? You could feel the director switch the whole time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which never works. Like, you can never have that feeling. It sort of works in the film Tango and Cash. Because it's like humorous that that there's these bizarre tonal shifts, right? Right. Uh, like bizarre tonal shifts can be funny, but they can't be what that movie was going for, which was, you know, a superhero film. 
Especially bizarre tonal shifts within the same scenes, which was exactly. most of what the Snyder or the non Snyder cut was. Right. You really can't do that. Yeah. I think I mean I think when I hear Snyder, you know, says that they were really demanding a under two hour cut that he bring in. Uh I mean I I'm I kind of think Whedon was kind of given a really to come in was given a really difficult task to be yeah. fair to him. Like, For, well, first of all, this can't be this movie can't be done in two hours. Oh no! no. I mean, that was Batman v Superman was like two and a half hours, and then it's like okay, you're gonna follow that up. Plus, you got to add stuff. Like the only way I could see them doing that is if they had done a cyborg movie, mm-hmm. if they had done a Flash movie. Oh yeah, and we had enough experience with these characters right uh to just throw them in um even in this four hour film (laughs) yeah even in this four hour film they never really have enough time you know that's because of reshoots and stuff but like there's never really development of relationships between these characters Right. Like Wonder Woman and Batman are friends and they like exist in their little friendship but the other three barely connect yeah there's some nice there's some nice little moments though i mean i really like when flash is very concerned uh they don't know that like cyborgs witnessed that they don't know that that's cyborg's dad Mm -hmm. and flash has these nice moments where he's like concerned about him like like whoa hey like he's really upset here like there is moments successive moments where members of the justice league are concerned for one another yeah which i liked yeah, um, there was a seemed to, seemed to be a directive very early on to be like positive, like to have a lightness. Not necessarily means. I mean, there is comic relief, but there's comic relief in Batman v Superman. I, in particular, it's kind of a dumb thing, but I really like the Jeremy Irons like um, as Alfred a lot and his long suffering. Yeah. There's a there's a scene near the end of Batman v Superman where Batman is headed out to help fight like help Superman fight this monster. And he asks Alfred for an update for what's happening. And like, uh, Jeremy Irons, like line reading of like how to explain. I really like (laughs) just this absurd, like sci-fi thing is happening in reality. Kind of. I do think it's interesting because we get a different kind of Alfred and we get an old Superman, right? Right. Old Superman. You mean old Batman? Yeah. Uh, Old Batman. Yeah. So like the relationship between the two characters doesn't feel like an old man who raised a kid. No. It feels like a guy who was like 35, right? And then uh, his boss has died and now he's raising a kid. Um, it feels more like they're on equal footing. Right. More like they're friends. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I And uh, well, yeah, I think the thing about, like, I, I like the Snyder verse Batman because on one level, it's more fantastical in terms of gadgetry. To like compared to Nolan, like he's you know flying planes very. He has rocket ships, yeah, basically missiles. <laughs> Plus, you have that combined with he's older, almost a psychological, darker, more realistic, like old failure kind of guy. Oh, we got we got to get into that. I mean, we got to get into. It, it's how- it's a great Affleck thing because it works so well with the memes. No other role works really <laughs> well with Batman meme. I mean, with well, Affleck means and that memes and his Snyder versus Batman. I mean, okay, we can just get into it now. It is pretty crazy that you know Snyder uh, was like, "Hey, we need to have the death of Robin storyline in these movies." 
we need to incorporate that into the Snyderverse that the Joker killed Robin. Right. Right. And then his fucking kid dies as he's trying to make the movie. Yeah. I mean, that is that has to be a trip for him. I'm sure that that had to be a lot of the reason he wanted to finish the movie. Yeah, even dedicating it to her. And uh, I saw Theo mention this the other day, but Hallelujah was his daughter's favorite song. And wasn't it uh, the woman who sang it at his daughter's funeral sang it for the end credits? Is that right? That's what it says in the Vanity Fair article says, I believe. Yeah. Also, the, the dedication to his daughter makes the whole like epilogue feel different. Right. And he's like, oh, shit. Well, wow. The whole epilogue was about <laughs> the whole epilogue was about dads <laughs> <laughs> and like dads being proud of their kids. And and even with Superman, you miss this in the Whedon cut. But uh, the moment where he's going to the ship and you hear Jor-El and Jonathan Kent's voiceovers. So it's Superman's dead dad speaking to him. Right. Wow. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's heavy shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> like uh and like, by all accounts, like, you know, he's like a family guy. It's like the most important thing to him. He's got a lot of kids, a lot of adopted kids. Um, right. Yeah. So um, so that was heavy. Like it was, you know, I don't think this is a masterpiece. I'm not going to say that. But like it was heavy when I saw that dedication at the end. Yeah. And, you know, the epilogue is I, how much of the epilogue was in the original cut? I think none of it. Uh, none the of original it. cut is in Snyder's original pen like draft that he had filmed or the original was in Whedon's cut. Whedon's cut. Uh, none of it. The, the end was uh, the montage of them being heroic set to uh, a Lois Lane article that she's writing at the daily planet. That's not entirely, oh, wow. that's not true. Uh, accurate. Uh, um, you do see the Joker and Deathstroke. Oh, that's, that's the post credit scene. Yes. Yeah, post credit. But I always say I think the epilogue incorporated post credit stuff. Like it's just yes, sort of okay. Uh, some stuff definitely feels like an epilogue. Like I like when he's going into that. He, sh- him, and Alfred and Wonder Woman are looking at the new digs for the uh, Justice League, and it's just big, empty kind of birds in the ceiling, like this gothic, empty, like almost cathedral, like dusty cathedral space. Uh, yeah, I think it's the burnt out Wayne Mansion from oh, BBS. Wow. Yes, yes. But it's different in that Whedon cut. Yeah, it's like they're like, I th- he proposes forming an evil Justice League or like the, uh, what do you call it? Whatever the yes. Ant- Legion of Doom. Yeah, not, right. not, not expressly saying, hey, just go kill Batman. Yeah, they're teasing the solo Batman movie in that. Because right. Deathstroke was supposed to be the we'll villain. We'll get to Deathstroke later. I can't. Okay. <laughs> so. The scene with Cyborg resurrecting the tape, was that a reshoot? Was that always shot? I believe so. I believe the only new footage filmed for this was... Was Nightmare. Nightmare, yes. Okay. I mean, it definitely felt new. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's such a weird scene. Well, I think half of the film, it feels like, almost ended up being finished by being animated. Well, not half, but like sure, mm-hmm. yes. a lot of the scenes with the villains were just straight up an animated film. Yeah. Obviously, Joss Whedon has done worse things, but <laughs> if they had that scene with the tape, him resurrecting the tape and they didn't put it in the movie, uh, I think that's a mistake. Well, in the Whedon cut, his dad doesn't die. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that scene was super. His dad doesn't die. Yeah, no, that, that, that sacrifice never happens in the Whedon cut. Oh wow, I couldn't remember that. I, I'm also with the Whedon cut. I'm curious, Kyle. Um, do we get the the details about Cyborg's powers? That when when his dad is telling him, you can launch nuclear missiles anytime you want, very easily. <laughs> no, no, we never. You control get that. all the. F- no. That is like that is a very Doctor Manhattan level of like I'm gonna get, not only my love for you, I'm gonna show you how much I love you, son. I'm gonna give you power over all of us. I'm gonna give you basically comparative. You could be Superman's one of Superman's biggest foe right now. You know, well, if Superman was certainly alive. Superman needs to take pay attention to a guy who can launch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every nuclear. We missile. figure his superhero will pick up on a uh, something as grave as that. Yeah. <laughs> But, oh, I like that when he's introduced, he finds out his uh, dominion over the financial markets. We see a bull and the bear animated going at it. <laughs> Like, wait, so now that is a fantasy degree. That is an element. I have no problem with that. Like, go ahead. Go do your thing. I like it. I'm on board if you're going to do that so in terms of stylistic, that maximalist excess, you know? Uh, but it is kind of funny to think back and like, okay, so when he's able to, why would he see that? <laughs> Like, you know, it's kind of like this, what I'm able to do. It's It's like one step away from like seeing Jim Cramer, right? Like Jim Cramer explodes into his consciousness. Jim Cramer ranting about this new kid, what this kid can do. Oh my God. (laughs) Ranting about the cyborg. He was a gridiron hero and now he can, you know. Yeah, that that stuff's really interesting. Yeah, that I mean, I mean, it's been said a million times. But Snyder's like, no, Cyborg's like the heart of the movie, and we get them. We get more of you know. It's like what you guys said earlier. We never got solo Flash movies or solo Cyborg movies. And a friend of mine who I'd seen a lot of these uh, with, we on our days off, and we would go and see like whatever the new DC or uh, Marvel movie was, like. He had said, like, they didn't do the work, DC. You like, they're playing right. catch up. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, like, you know, Marvel uh, st- started out like they made people care about, like, they did a solo Thor movie, which I think was kind of brave a little bit. Like, are, sure, absolutely. No one cared about Thor. And, and Thor and, is just like dumb 70s shit. I continue shit. to not care about Thor, but yeah. <laughs> right. But yes, like, I don't, I mean, I can't remember how many movies they did. Before the Avengers. Yeah. But it, I feel like it was like 10. It was like three. Oh, really? But yeah, yeah but when I, the Avengers. Iron Man, uh, Thor, and I think Captain America. Oh, and technically the Hulk, which doesn't really count. And, and Iron Man 2. Oh, God. The worst movie of and all Iron time. Iron Man 2 introduced characters, right? Black Widow, we saw it. Nick Fury, Black Widow. And we saw Hawkeye and Thor. So that's an, that, so five, five-ish, right? That's a lot better. Like, I don't know. It just did not feel like they had earned. Oh, no. They tried to do Dawn of Justice, right? Yeah. Right. But no one remembers anything that happened in that movie. <laughs> that made Superman. Other than Batman and Superman things. Big things happen. And Superman fucking dies at the end. <laughs> sure. But it feels like a Batman versus Superman movie. It doesn't feel like a Justice League movie to me. Oh, no. And, you know, the scenes where we see Aquaman and Flash and uh, Cyborg, it's like Wonder Woman looking at like a like an email attachment laptop. like a, yeah, yeah laptop from, from like lex Luthor's like video files 
Right. That that Bruce Wayne kind of download or stole. Yeah. Or for, and and so you just see reaction shots of Gil Godot looking at a computer screen in close up, going, "What? Let me click on this, huh?" And then we see it, and it's like security cam footage, and it's such the most awkward thing. And, and uh, I actually kind of like it because of how much it provides a roadmap for like batman looking for all of these people in mm. justice league oh we so i have to tell you guys i thought the scene i don't know if it was in the the whedon cut but when batman when bruce wayne goes and meets aquaman for the first time and then he comes back to his helicopter or his plane or whatever that scene's not no. that's that scene bruce wayne is super happy <laughs> Ben Affleck is just on cloud nine he in that scene. Look, he's like wearing sunglasses too, so maybe to cover up like the eyes a little bit. What I don't know if they filmed this like he just started dating Ana Daramas or something, <laughs> but that guy is feeling good, and there's no reason for Bruce Wayne to be feeling that good in that scene. Maybe he's still optimistic. He'll get like I think it's good because his whole thing is like I'm optimistic now, Alfred. I'm operating on faith. <laughs> Like, I just believe now. That is a funny joke of the movie. Yeah. That they intentionally made funny is that he's just he just really thinks everyone's going to say yes eventually. Yeah. Like Superman's (laughs) going to come and help us. Like for the first time in my life, Alfred, I'm operating on faith, not reason. Yeah. New. We get he's changed forever changed by the events of Batman v Superman. Right. Right. Um, but he's like really in a dark place in Batman v Superman, like especially in the the Ultimate Edition, which I'm not entirely sure is a director's cut. Um, it is, I think. Yeah, I feel like the, I lean that way. I, I I wonder why they I don't just. It seems like a director's cut, but I don't know why they just don't call it that. Um, Probably because his actual director's cut would have just been insanely longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. But like, you know, especially when Superman is investigating Batman and he comes to this conclusion of how bad he is, like there's a really kind of haunting scene where like uh, Superman goes to the police headquarters to like investigate some of the what happens to the people who Batman set, ends up branding and sending to jail and they just get murdered in prison right away. And there's there's like a widow of someone who was murdered in prison. Um, and he was a lower, I guess, a lower level guy who wasn't as really the evil guys he's going after. But she's with a baby that's wailing and she's picking up her, her dead husband, the, the baby's dead father's things from the police station. And Clark like follows her outside. And it's very like dark and haunting. Um, and Batman's he's like, no, Bat, what Batman is doing is wrong. Like he needs to. That would have been so much better. <laughs> That would have because because I thought the whole movie was ridiculous mm. where Clark Kent cares about civil liberties. I thought that was so unearned mm. and out of left field. Yeah. And that scene would have really helped. He's got a moral compass for sure. I think that like Batman v Superman has an interesting moral compass, like as a movie in general, like the things that it shows Superman doing, especially in his like montage of heroism on the news are all basic like firefighter first responder kind of deals. There's no, you know, stopping bank robbers or anything like that. Like he's very much illustrated as the kind of guy who gets a ship out of, you know, frozen waters yeah. or rescues people from a flood. And it's really careful, strangely careful to to point out that he's not the guy who yeah, would ever kind of stop a crime in the middle and and 
you know, uh, taunt the the thieves or whatever about how he's taken taken them all to jail or whatever. I remember one of the shots from that where he saves it's in during the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Mm-hmm. He's right. And I, I think I used the term like sarcastic haloing, like in the when I wrote about it, like for the letter my letterbox thing, and it was like because it's just sort of this odd, like he's looking up at the sky and the people close to him are just touching him after he saved right. him, like he's worshipped as a god, and there's something a little bit. I mean, it's sincere, but there's a little bit there's a sarcastic edge to that. I feel like. Well, I think that he's clearly pretty uncomfortable with it, but not willing to be like, hey, stop it, because they're clearly getting something out of it that he doesn't fully understand. Right. But, and then they do it with Aquaman. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Aquaman has like his like his religious followers. Uh, that's really I love that scene. Yeah. I, I wish they brought back that the, those Norwegian girls uh, or no Icelandic or uh, those those. I thought that chanting, they should have brought that back later. You see it bleed over. Oh. Like they, it bleeds over into a shot, like the uh, of Martha Kent, like looking at the farm, and you hear it overlap there into there. But I thought it'd been really cool to bring that back somehow. Unfortunately, we don't really get a fucking arc with Aquaman. Like I don't think there's an arc for his character in this movie at all. I, I think I think this is part of what Whedon tried to do in his movie is, or his his version rather. He tried to at least sort of have these team developments for these characters but like because he was simultaneously trying to cut a four hour movie down into two hours and do this it's like 20 seconds of it uh like when he's sitting on the lasso of truth and he starts admitting that he's scared and that like he admires diana and that like he's young and the fact that it all turns into a sex joke is very it's yes i did like the lasso of truth moment as just a comic like her having it's a good I thought it was a creative use of her having that thing. <laughs> you know, I know yeah. we other see other people do it, but just in him admitting like this tough guy admitting, like being vulnerable in that moment is kind of, and it's really unlike him. So then you realize the delayed reaction in that, like, Oh, it's like a practical joke. She's doing a practical joke right. on him. It's kind of a cute little moment, I think. But yeah, I didn't remember it culminating in a sex joke, but that's, that's yeah. It culminates in him just like going crazy about oh, how attractive he finds her. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And like, you know, I, I saw some reviews saying like, you know, Snyder does that, too. No, all of that is cut yeah, out. There was one this weird movie. moment where like, but it wasn't like a sexual thing. I just found it a kind of cringy romance stuff where Bruce and Diana reach for a mouse at the same time and their hands touch. Oh, I thought that was great. I like that. I'm all about Bruce and Diana having like chemistry. I want them. Yeah. There's a scene they have in the Whedon cut together where he's like pouring himself a drink in his like helicarrier <laughs> thing and she's talking to him like hey you she's kind of ca- counseling him a bit what i like about <laughs> them is it feels organic like it feels like wonder woman and batman should not have a re- romantic relationship yeah but but they just got ben affleck and gal gadot in a room enough times that they just had to do it <laughs> i think that's it there's genuine chemistry there because he's good right. at that like or she's i mean she's probably good i don't know i've seen him way more than i've seen her in movies but you know yeah. So it just sort of happened, even though Wonder Woman and Batman doesn't make sense, really. <laughs> no, but yeah, it works. It works. It's organic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I heard it interesting that like Zach's characterization of Diana is really markedly different from her and her solo films where she's very naive and kind of childlike. And his version is always world weary. They 
and careful. They're always careful to be like, she's like 5,000 years old. She knows what she's doing. She's the one who, you know, ends up killing the villains. She's the one who is okay with killing the villains. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, within her own movies, she's almost like this little mermaid esque character who's surprised by everything about human culture and nature mm-hmm. and is very much depicted as, as having a somewhat childlike personality. Yeah, for sure. She seems to be like, like a higher level person, right? Well, it makes sense because those movies do take place in her past. Like, although, I mean, World War One to like the 19, the first one's World War One, the second one's 1980s. I mean, those are sort of real, I mean, she's been around so long that there should be like, she's only changed in the, those last several decades, you know? It fits with her like, screen presence right she's like an alien and like she's compelling to watch and like doesn't feel inauthentic in any way yeah but um feels apart from these people which totally works with this character because everyone there is like less knowledgeable than her and you know less interesting well zach snyder's original like story for wonder woman which he got to help with um he wanted it to be that she'd been fighting in every war for thousands of years in search of Ares. Right. Um, and then it was originally like it was, or it was changed to just world war one that she doesn't leave the mascara until then. So his version of her, I, and I think he's like maintained this version of her, despite the fact that she's different in the other movies is that she has been like battle hardened over thousands of wars Right. And you can really feel that in the way that she's played. The way she says, like, hate is useless to Aquaman. It's like a way more mature person. I heard he did a lot with, for the first Iron, uh, first Wonder Woman mm-hmm. movie, like, uh, a lot of the action is he prevised uh, yes, a lot. Yes, I think he prevised the, the infamous uh, No Man's Land scene. And I think one of the battle scenes in the fr- one of the French towns... And you can see it. It's like full of those like splinters of wood and plaster that he's so in love with showing in slow-mo. Yeah, I like that sort of thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the key, one of the things that is kind of charming about that Wonder Woman movie is that fish out of water quality where she comes to London with like the American CIA guy, I think is, I think that's what uh, her, the love interest is. And she's just like, all right, I'm going to kill Ares. She's all about business. I'm going to grab a sword. She thinks she could just grab a sword and roll, roll up to someone. And, and like the, you know, the, the love interest, like that. Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Captain Kirk, Steve Trevor, like saying like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, like we got to be a little discreet here. And just her being like out of uh, that, that stuff's kind of fun. Um, Interesting that that movie also like, seems like it was really refilmed in its second half. Like it completely kind of falls apart and feels like it was made almost by somebody else or just made in a rush or really cheaply. Yeah. The thing about like, you know, she learns the lesson. Oh, Ares isn't like a physical thing. It's, you know, an embodiment of man's continued, you know, conflict with one another. And like 10 minutes later, Oh, here's Ares. He's a real guy. Time to kill him. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no. uh, So yeah, that's her character is pretty, the difference between her character and this is, is interesting. Uh, I I do want to see like I do. Will he get a chance to to, to follow this up? Do you guys think? Oh, that's a good question. If this question. makes enough money, I'm sure. And he seems super super enthusiastic about it. Like I don't think anybody has ever been more invested in the idea of making superhero films. 
Like everyone else seems like they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But like, ultimately, that's not what I want to do with my life. And he's like, I would do this forever if I could. Yeah. What I want to emphasize about this movie, it's way better than it has any right to be being this pasted together, retrofitted thing. Right. Like it is a true testament to Zack Snyder's talent. I don't like his movies that much in general, but he's a talented dude. And he most directors would have failed horribly to paste this kind of thing together. Um, A lot of people love the recut version of Richard Donner's Superman. Oh, yeah. I'm not a fan of that. It's a very strange movie. It doesn't work. Like the ending is absurd, right? He just does what he did in the first movie. Right. And it begins. The thing that really I was excited to see it because I think he probably if he got a chance to do it at the time, maybe it would have been good. But it seems like it begins when you get that director's cut. Like, okay, we're going to have to forget how the first movie ends because he wanted to use that at the as the ending of this movie. Right. It's like, okay, you can't do it then. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, our brains can't work that way ever. No. And sometimes he was using footage. He tried to they they avoided using footage that Richard Lester directed that seemed just right. out of on that like uh, I think you should just use it anyway. Like if I don't know. I think the one of the things about those first two Superman movies is like everyone remembers them as being great, but nobody remembers that they like together they maybe have twenty minutes of great footage and oh, then everything I else I is disagree. silly. I disagree. <laughs> I love the first one a lot. I and think the I do first like one's the, just about right. The first one is interesting to me because it's like three different movies in a way. Like the Krypton stuff looks so artificial and kind of cool. I like how the saran wrap and intense lighting and just the very artificial environment of that then you get like like smallville just epic pastoral you know like the kid who plays uh young clark has this like fake nose oh really and and a (laughs) wig and is dubbed by christopher reeve so i'm not entirely sure i didn't know that why they cast him that's such like how these movies were like the crazy fucking ideas of the salkins right like that's so dumb yeah. No one would want that, but they did it. You know, the producers are like, well, we we bought the rights to Superman 20 years ago, so you have to deal with it. Yeah. People were stuck with them for the longest time. Yeah, they did a lot of. Yeah, some of their decision making in that series was so bad, like like having Mario Puzo write it, which worked out. <laughs> but that was a dumb idea, fundamentally. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. Yeah, they're weird movies like that take place in the kind of their pre blockbuster era in a way. But right. pre Spielberg summer blockbuster era, but kind of trying to do it with like old a lot of older, you know, um, journeymen film people in the film industry. Right. There's that wild element, too, where when you have producers who are crazy, like good things happen too, accidentally. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's some there's an element of that. And like and they got the casting perfect, you know, like every 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 casting decision was somehow perfect. I love Luthor. Like, I love how much of a dick he is to, like, Ned Beatty and, like, yes. Miss Tessmacher. And, like, I, I think the trio, their comical villainy together yes. is really enjoyable. That's um, not their, you know, the character of, of Tessmacher herself was who was created for this movie. And it's, like, you know, perfect. It's, like, <laughs> it's exactly the right kind of thing. Um, right. The idea that Luther has someone around all the time who doesn't like his ideas and like 
Yeah. <laughs> just kind of like makes fun of you. Well, there's that joke like uh, where he says, you know what the first thing my father told to me, Miss Tessmacher, when I was young? And she said, like, get out. Like kind of, <laughs> it is kind of sitcom-y, but she just like calls, <laughs> makes fun of him all the time. Which somehow he tolerates. It's yeah. like, it's such a comic uh, scenario that he, you know. Well, somehow, I think I know why he tolerates it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but to accept that idea is is absurd as well. Like yeah. Lex Luthor could be with any woman he wants. He's the richest man in the world. But he likes a woman who gives him shit, apparently. I mean, is he is he that rich in Superman the movie? I think it's he a little lives different. In like a subway station. Yeah, I think he's like it's uh it's pre it's there's different incarnations of Luthor, but like the rich like industrialist is kind of I don't know if it's earlier in the comics, but it, it becomes the dominant thing later. But yeah, he's oh, okay. like a, he's a super criminal in hiding in that first one. Oh, okay, and doesn't he start off as like a mad scientist or something more so? Yes. So, something along those lines and like the hackman luthor is like a confidence man or something right who who has somehow become very powerful just doing that well he's also well, he's like um self aggrandizing he's he's con- like i'm the greatest criminal criminal mind in the world like he's kind <laughs> of very arrogant and how about how thinks he's so great um which is a good luthor trait i the eisenberg luthor I like some elements of, but there's something, he's kind of annoying in a lot of ways. Right. Similar to like. I kind of like that. Like I I really liked his performance. I thought it was kind of weird that Luthor, let's get into it. The whole Deathstroke thing. That Luthor is hiring people to kill Bruce Wayne instead of just trying to kill Bruce Wayne. He says he has more important things to do. Which is, you know. Sit on a yacht. That's not. <laughs> it's way more fun to see Luthor versus Wayne, the two billionaires going head to head. You know. Right. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That would be more interesting. But his whole his whole thing is just kind of setting up rivalries and letting them happen. I mean, that's what he does throughout Batman v Superman. Is just kind sure. of trying to make them hate each other so much that one of them at least will kill the other, and then he'll kill whoever's left. But how cool would it be? It would be way cooler. To see Luthor versus Wayne in a boardroom or, you know, just confrontations between them instead of this weird thing where he wants Bruce Wayne dead. You could have moments like that in the uh, next movie. In Uh, my imagination. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But like uh, Deathstroke. Let's talk about Deathstroke. I fucking hate Deathstroke. I think Deathstroke is one of the worst characters (laughs) I have ever seen in a comic book film. I don't know anything about him. I, yeah, I barely know anything. Uh, about that's that's either. part of the problem. In, in the comics, he's typically an enemy of the Teen Titans and Green Arrow, and occasionally the Justice League. And his whole thing is that um, I believe in some incarnations, it's like that whole you know how you only use ten percent of your brain. Well, he has a whole hundred percent, and he's just like uh, he's like able to perceive things slower than they Why are. Why is he doing this with his life? <laughs> Right. Yeah. It, there's there's no reason for him to have some sort of rivalry with Batman, which is what they were going to do in the solo, solo ben, a- also, ben Affleck movie. It, it's ridiculous to walk around with two katanas at your back. Like that's <laughs> that's so dumb. And it doesn't fit with the whole Snyder thing. Right? right. It feels really out of place. This guy walking around like Deadpool, like he's an off brand Deadpool. Well, Deadpool is an off brand uh, Deathstroke. Really? Uh, yes, wow. Deathstroke was created first, and Rob Liefeld 
uh, drew an idea for a character and sent it to Fabian Nietzscheza, who wrote, this is literally just Deathstroke. And then <laughs> Deathstroke's name is Slade Wilson. So Nietzsche and Liefeld decided, fuck it, let's just lean into it. Let's name Deadpool Wade Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it feels wrong in this movie. Like Deadpool yes. in a Zack Snyder movie would feel wrong. Um, yes. And the gravity and seriousness goes out the window when fucking Deathstroke steps on the boat. I was really looking forward to Ben Affleck doing directing himself as Batman. Uh, the, supposedly the guy that plays Deathstroke said in an interview that the script that they were working with it, is like he compared it to like the movie that Michael Douglas, David Fincher movie, The Game, where sure. his world is kind of just uh, collapse under uh, collapses underneath him, kind of like somebody playing a psychological. He psychologically fucks with Batman by just which doesn't feel right to me with the character <laughs> like Deathstroke. Like, why would a guy with k- yeah. katanas on his back become some orchestrator of schemes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So it's a little, it's weird. Uh, but yeah, so I keep thinking like, so when there's that epilogue, the hints we get of future Snyderverse movies, it's like, you know, you get that future, like of which harkens back to the really weird scene in Batman v Superman where the Flash, the first time we ever see the Flash, he's like appears to Bruce in a dream. Uh, trying to warn him about loose, like how important Lois Lane is. Right. And it's like, am I too early? And he kind of like, oh, no, I'm too early and kind of fades away. And it's kind of a dream within a dream. But I, I and I like the weirdness of that. I think, you know, if somehow this is really successful, we're never going to get that movie. Oh, really? The nightmare movie. I, I kind of hope we don't because I don't. I feel like what we saw is the resolution to all that. What, like the post-apocalyptic joining up with like the Joker to fight? Well, everything falls apart. You know, he has to disgrace himself by lying with this monster and then Superman shows up and kills them anyway. (laughs) I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think you could do a, cause they're toast. None of, they can't do anything against Superman there. Like they're toast. Uh, no. So this is actually taken from Snyder storyboards for justice league two and justice league two a, which would be two sequels to this. This scene basically happens where Superman arrives and he starts killing everyone except the Flash, who just barely manages to get out. He goes back and he tells Bruce, Lois is the key, uh, and you're the father. The father of Lois's child. Oh, and yeah. He wanted to do the Lois and uh, Bruce relationship, right? Which which sounds great. I think it could be good, but I think you don't need it without with it. I, I think it helps Batman to have like one of the things that seems to solve Batman's problems in these movies is uh, as Alfred says, like he needs like a woman kind of. <laughs> and so I think, well, you got Wonder Woman there. So I think you solve that problem that way. Right. Yes. I do think I could see like this future where we see pieces of this, almost this at odds, this past and present that are really contrast each other really heavily. Like uh, I could see pieces of that interwoven into it, like really fucked up time stuff. Uh, yeah, I would, I would prefer to see like a version of like the ne- next Justice League movie where whatever version of the future um, the Flash goes back to try to correct is a really bad version. So each time he goes back to Bruce, he's like, Lois Lane is the key, one of many keys. And I have not figured out all of those keys yet. <laughs> 
Well, I, I thought I thought the Flash thing would be setting up the idea that the Flash caused all these problems. <laughs> really? Oh. <laughs> when he tampered with time and he right. created multi he created the multiverse, essentially, of the nightmare. Oh man. Right. Because he created these I, distorted yeah, realities. If, if I had to see that version of the future, I would prefer it to be like a short section because like, A, I don't really want, like, a Justice League movie where Lois is dead. Because I really like Lois and I also don't a want a Justice League movie where, like, Batman and Deathstroke are... <laughs> I don't want Deathstroke in the movie, first of all. But I don't want to see Batman and yeah, Deathstroke. Yeah, or where Superman is just evil the whole time. Like, yeah, I'm not into that. that. That's actually a very interesting thing you mentioned. Because in the storyboard that it was taken from, it was actually Deadshot, who Will Smith plays in Suicide Squad. Uh. Um, yeah. Not Deathstroke, but I assume Will Smith had some sort of prior thing. They're not even including him in the next James Gunn Suicide well, Squad Well, this, this Manganiello guy seems like he'll do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah <probably>. <laughs> <laughs> he's enthusiastic. He wants yeah, to yeah. be Deathstroke so bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's talking about it in interviews. Yeah. Why he's saying, oh, this would have been so cool, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he almost played Superman, too. Joe Manganiello, he was like the, one of the runners up oh, really? to play oh, really? Superman and wow. Man of Steel. He has this weird career going on. Because he did that yeah. fucking movie. He did that really racist movie. What's that? Where, like, um, he's, like, an Italian guy who, like, gets in a fight with an Irish guy or something. And then, like, goes to prison for 20 years. And then, like, comes back, tries out for the Yankees. What? I don't know anything about this. <laughs> and, like, uh, they sign him because there's, like, a young, hotshot black guy who he needs to teach the ropes, you know? <laughs> Did you make this up? <laughs> no, it's a real movie that he did. So like he his career has this phase and then like another phase is him almost <laughs> like constantly almost being super successful, like right. almost Superman, oh. almost doing a Batman movie with Ben Affleck. Yeah. Oh, he was Flash Thompson in uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Right. He's like one of the students in high school. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, he he did some movie that was big, right? He's been successful one time. Oh, he was in uh, oh, Magic Mike was a big right, thing. Right, Magic think. Mike 2. Oh. Magic Mike XL. He has a weird career looking at his... Um... Yes! Like, <laughs> I don't think he's bad or anything, but it is like this weird thing where he's almost he's close to being a star all the time. Yeah. Well, he seems like the type of guy that should be starring in like B-action movies. Actually. Exactly, right? Which is, you know, you need that. I mean, I, I like, um, like he should be like, if there was a, a current... Uh, equivalent to like canon films like he should be he, like he is married to Sofia Vergara which probably changes your like whole mindset about like, <laughs> like everything right like you probably don't take things that seriously uh, yeah. when your wife is Sofia Vergara yeah she's in that movie that fucking baseball movie as his wife bottom of the night that's what it's called bottom of the night <laughs> he also produced it yeah <laughs> This cover art, the poster is really funny. After serving 17 years in prison for a violent mistake, Sonny returns to his Bronx neighborhood and to his baseball aspirations. It looks like a passion project <laughs> like it's, no one cared about. It's like a tribute to Italian-Americans, basically. Wow. It was produced by William Chartoff, who also produced Rocky. So I feel like he that's his like wheelhouse. <laughs> it's the Italian-Americans oh, wow. becoming successful at sports. <laughs> Oh, wow. oh, it had a troubled production, clearly. Like, it came out two years after filming started. That is awesome. He actually got, he's like the high school rival in, Sp in Spider-Man, because that's like perfect. Like, um, 
kind of what he is in a way, like not the main guy, not empathetic to be enough seeming to be the main guy, but yeah, like the jock, like the kind of jock. So it makes sense that he, that type of person would be like a, and he's uh, also like some of these, you know, he's working. Oh, he's actually in the first magic mic as well. Apologies to Joe. Like being in both of those is impressive. He's in Knight of Cups. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I saw the I saw the music one, the follow the follow up he did. That's like about like Austin or Texas, like music kind of world a bit. Um, yep. That I think is supposedly similar. But yeah, I want to see my light Knight of Cups. I like when like uh, Malik gets really kind of wild with digital photography. He was also a generic private contractor, military guy in a rampage, hunting down the giant genetic animal experience. I think one issue he has is that he is very anonymous looking in his handsomeness. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at all these movies and I'm like, yeah, I can understand why I don't recognize him. And I don't think he has like a strong appeal to women necessarily, or at least from my point of view, like he's not the kind of guy that women find attractive. He's the kind of guy that men think that women find attractive. <laughs> Sophia, Sophia fell for it. So, you know, congrats to him again on that. <laughs> I, I confuse him a lot with this guy named Frank Grillo. Yes. I thought it was the same guy, actually. That was like, uh, it's we- like, oh, it's weird. This guy played, he was in Cap- He was in a small role in Winter Soldier, in the two Captain America, uh, last two Captain America movies. I remember when Sophia Vergara became famous and I was always like, man, I was watching her before you were <laughs> on Telemundo. <laughs> Because, man, when she did Spanish language TV, it, it was it was appointment viewing for pubescent boys. That's for sure. Oh, really? Yes. Did you watch a lot of Spanish uh, Spanish language TV? When she was on. <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. We don't have to get too personal. No, no, no. I, I like awareness of it. Uh, how, how does he, where is he even the, where are they just flipping through like, whoa. Well, I lived in South to- Texas. So there were, there were like five Spanish language channels. Ah, okay. So I guess if you grew up other places, maybe that's not the experience, right? But uh, I liked, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, did you like those bank, not, they're not bank robbers, those terrorists. Uh, I'd like those, uh, those terrorists <laughs> that wanted to bring, bring, they were very, what did, someone described them, uh, there was a letterbox review that described them as Luddite. Right. Like, <laughs> right. That seemed like more like it seemed like Wonder Woman after that experience should be like, I need to put a pin in this. We've got <laughs> We seem to have like a problem. There's like a terrorist group that's a real something to <laughs> to remember. I think it's weird that the, the Whedon cut takes out all of the really impressive action in that sequence and just kind of cuts it down to nothing and makes it pretty pointless. When it was really good, it was like. Really enjoyable. I couldn't remember too much. I remember that scene, a version of that scene. Yeah, it's it's incredibly shortened and a lot of the threat is taken out of it. Like there's really no threat spoken by any of the like the terrorists. Like they don't say, oh, yeah, we're planning on killing people. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're here for some reason. I got I got really into the action beats of this one. Yes, it felt better. Like all the action felt better and. I never zoned out. When they enter the facility, when the terrorists enter, it's scary. The little nod of the bowler, the guy with the bowler hat nodding out the window to the cops. But then you see that hat fly off. Right. Uh, my, wife, my wife had said, was watching it with me during this part. And she said, I, I, which I agree. She's like, that's like when Wonder Woman bangs her wrists together and just obliterates the last guy. Right. <laughs> like, and, the, and his hat comes flying out. She's like, that seems like a little bit over 
<laughs> like that seems like Zack Snyder, though. That seems like yeah, yes, unnecessary like, force. Yeah. But like Zack Snyder wants that guy to die. Right. <laughs> I think it was a final fuck you to him, kind of like, oh, yeah, f- I'm just going to. You're just gonna, <laughs> I could just take you out in a much subtler way. It's interesting, way. too, in the in the Whedon cut, um, Danny Elfman's music during that scene is incredibly wacky, as if it's, like, this, like, oh. Joker-esque scene from oh, Batman. Oh, right. Like, you know, 1989. It's there to make it seem more like, ah, yes, this is our wacky crime scene, like, as if, the you know, Jack Nicholson is in a gallery or whatever playing Prince. I thought the music was way better. They, he got, like, DJ... Something or yeah, what, junkie, whatever. Junkie XL, who I don't love. Uh, I did not like the ancestral lamentation music. Yeah, it was overused. What is that? Is that Wonder Woman? Yeah, scene? like where it just keeps being the wailing and the same little section of wailing repeatedly, yeah. which was a little lame. I tend to, one thing I st- stood out, the things that you, you, you notice what people talk about immediately after this comes out, and the things that people talked about weirdly were like, you know, epilogue details, but also song choices, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, I mean, I love this. I, I don't particularly I like the scenes, but I don't particularly like his music choices, I have to say. It's like lyrically. Oh, he has terrible taste in music. the, the Aquaman. Uh, well, so I don't know if you agree with this, but like watching the theatrical cut and the Snyder cut, the scene of Aquaman walking through the waves, drinking uh, the, the music in the weeding cut is like this, like uh, rock music. And it's it's sort of like fits this like Aquaman we're seeing he's like drinking he's jumping in but like the Whedon cut felt so the music felt so melancholic yes it's like I think supposed to be melancholic which I would be fine if it like maybe something that just had that vibe that communicated that emotion but lyric he'll put things lyrics it'll that are front and center that seem to directly relate to it and it makes me think I have to pay attention to the lyrics which I don't like. And it's, it feels like, okay, are you, re- it's distracting, but also so specific to, it, it's lyr- to, it's so lyrically specific, which ends up being distracting. Yeah, there were too many, too many needle drops uh, in the Snyder Cut, I would definitely mm-hmm. say. I was glad to see those. I mean, in the second half, is less of them. I was really glad. And so we get that and then the flash, which I love the images in that. I mean, like this, the, the composition of, Aquaman walking out to those the, that rocky edge and just seeing the 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 symmetrical the giant wall of waves on either side almost coming at him and he's in the center of the free, like the the shape of that just in a compositional sense is is really good plus the water the, the coldness you really it's very t- uh, tactile you get a sense of like the cold the way he like shot it and I love the flash just pushing his finger through the window and it's almost like liquid the way it breaks. That's like one of my favorite scenes and I can't believe that they cut it for... That's not in the Whedon version at all? It is not, no. It's so important. Yeah. The, the, the first scene we see of Barry Allen is when he's going into his hideout and Bruce Wayne is sitting there. Yeah, I mean, losing that, like I said, you know, you need to establish the characters and all the stuff that uh, establishes their personalities is welcome. One of the cool things in that scene is like you first see a dog when he sees the dog barking at him and there's a close up of the dog just being in slow motion. And it's like you get a, a subjectivity of this person kind of uh, dis- disconnected from time as we know it. Like he's in a constant state of having this. You get that real subjectivity a little bit. Plus, it's just weird, just a, a almost menacing shot or a weird shot of just a dog like, you know, honestly, it's like. That scene accomplishes like a whole act of a movie. 
Right. Right. We learn so much about him. We learn like a romance is introduced. Like as the movie goes on, you're like, hey, when are we going to get to see Flash <laughs> go on a date with her? Right. Like yeah. that lingers in your mind um, <laughs> and it's accomplished in, I don't know, five minutes. So not including that in the Whedon cut was really bad. And I think it was partially um, might have been because the Flash movie initially wanted to recast Iris and did not want to be committed oh. to that actress. And so they cut it, oh. which is dumb. Yeah. Like audiences don't care. Right. But also, I think Whedon sort of had an entirely different approach for Barry Allen. He sort of wasn't familiar with, you know, being a hero and saving people. Whereas in this, you know, he saves Iris right in his beginning. And then, you know, the end scene, he literally saves the entire world. But like in, in the Whedon version, and I actually sort of like the moment in the tunnel at Gotham Harbor where Barry's kind of freaking out about this. And Bruce pulls him aside and tells him, you know, save one, save one person. And Barry goes, oh, then what? And then Bruce oh, says, oh, yeah, I like that moment too. You'll know. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I felt like um, that was a good moment for both Bruce and Barry. Um, but it is fundamentally like two different versions of Barry Allen that Whedon and Snyder have. The, um, that final, that climactic thing where he's, his running in reverse, I, I feel like it's one of the best like Snyder moments I've ever seen from him. The music is beautiful. Just where he's running back, like the reverse and seeing the ground yes. that's burnt up appear before his feet. There's something very psychedelic and very like, okay, this is, you've given us so many big things. How can you top that? And you do top it with this very, that visual it achieves it like very I think, satisfying. A, yeah. Yeah. A very high task, a very tough task is delivered there. And I'm just like, okay, this is kind of a five out of five because you deliver this moment in a way. Um, but I thought that moment was very satisfying. Yeah, yeah and it was it was really beautiful. But I can't remember is in the in the Whedon version. Do we see a version of no. that? No, <laughs> he saves he saves the Russian family in the Whedon version. Okay, yes, that's it. Which makes it hard to like. But yeah, it's like I I I've, what I what impresses me a lot about Snyder, and even though I have a lot of criticisms of him, I, I what I love his work sometimes is that when I think of spectacle, I think of trying to you're trying to visualize what is just is difficult to visualize, what is inherently uh, not easy, something that resists visualization. So it's just like uh, you, so you're real. It is a real challenge to the imagination that he can kind of step up. Very few people can, I think, working in that field. I think it's it's really interesting that, you know, people often will bring up derisively the fact that he went to the same film school as Michael Bay, but often don't bring up that he also went to the same film school as Tarsem Singh. And I feel like he, he oh, actually yeah. falls pretty directly between Michael Bay and Tarsem Singh in being really good at spectacle, but also really good at this kind of beautiful, classically influenced um shot composition things like that and melissa i think uh now tarzan now for people for folks at home maybe now he directed the rem losing my religion video correct? right and also um the movie the fall and the cell and a lot of kind of uh, the one he, that henry yeah, cavill did right before man of steel called um immortals which i actually haven't seen i'd be curious to see more of his work like i know the cell was really a game changer everyone was Really excited about the photography right. in that one. Uh, I do like when people come from other mediums because to me, film, it's a combination. Well, a lot of people, this is a very common thing, but like a uh, basic observation, but like 
film is the combination of the art forms. So when someone has a fine art background, like whether it's in photography or like doing installations or painting or whatever, they bring those elements. I like, and they, they emphasize whatever elements their background was. So I like, and that's why I like about Snyder stuff. A lot of the times, like one of his earliest things is like a, I haven't seen too many of his music videos, but he does like, he does a Morrissey video for, um, Oh, what is it tomorrow? And it's just one long shot of Morrissey walking in his brooding way with a bunch of guys following him. And it's kind of like just along a brick wall and it's very casual. And, uh, but it's just that sort of, I think that approach, someone will look at things in a, there's a more out of the box sort of, um, tendencies that come from his creative approach. And I think due to that background too, but yeah, I didn't know that about Tart. That's interesting. Um, but there, he does manifest both. Like I think Bay at his best is just spectacle and like being able to uh, those climaxes of like uh, debris becomes confetti, and, and and that stuff can be very beautiful. But yeah, any time that that Snyder can find like how can I add an, a movement, an element of movement here, whether it's going to be the walls of water under in, in the under under undersea environment where you see kind of like uh, it's just a pattern that's behind it. So you got movement and the foreground in the background like he's always finding something what can i do here to make this visually interesting right i also just love that the way that he films his action sequences is always really visually coherent it's never really hard to follow uh what any of the characters are doing i'm like i'm thinking of like the way that christopher nolan films fight scenes often just feels like the camera is stabbing various people like every few seconds or even less than a few seconds. Um, and you can quickly kind of lose track of what's even happening. Um, and Snyder's approach is kind of the opposite of that. There's way too, yeah, there's a lot of abstraction in how like Nolan, which I think sometimes is deliberate, often is deliberate. I mean, in the case of Batman, it's like, it's supposed to be what it's like when Batman attacks you sometimes. Like, right. whoa, this blur of shit, like, and it, it's scary and kind of overwhelming. Um, but yeah, sometimes his action's very weird. But yeah, like in that way, because sometimes when you play it back in my, when I play it back in my head, I have a very basic, a simple understanding. Well, I think you know, point A to point B, I know what happened, but as it plays out in the moment is very confusing and very like, what did I look at there? Right. But yeah, Snyder, that is an underrated aspect of it. You do know where there is a geographic kind of uh, relationship between right. everyone. One writer I really like is uh, John Latonin, uh, who writes a lot about, uh, does a lot of stuff in just a letterbox, but he described it as, you know, that style that you're just uh, Snyder kind of slow use of slow-mo just I think correctly calls it like hypersensual, you know, it's a giant, it's body gyrations. It's funny thing too, is when I was watching that scene of like when Steppenwolf is trying to get the mother box from the, uh, Amazonians, these shots of the, the women, these muscular women trying to like using giant hat, wooden hammers to knock down, uh, the walls and trap, Steppenwolf it's like and it hit me like and it's a very obvious thing but I'm like oh man this is what he does he visual he he photographs strong beautiful people doing strong things yes and and, and it, which is fine <laughs> you know I like it but it is funny like that's so much it, it is very sensualized violence to some and it, I, ju- I did think it was hilarious that there's like some 300 guys in there <laughs> like when we when we have the flashback yeah. of uh of dark side uh failing yeah we get there's some spartans there they're spartan <laughs> for sure yeah why not
Uh, hey, wait, like, so someone say, like, like going to like the digital composite person, like, can we add some Spartans into this? <laughs> What's funny thing about that? <laughs> right. And how, was, yes, was any no. of that shit well, in the Oh, wait, wing? they did? They did the history. Flashback was Steppenwolf attacking Earth instead of Darkseid. Right. Um, oh. And you saw the tribes of man, oh. you saw Green Lantern, you saw Ares and Zeus and Artemis, the gods. But like Darkseid uh, almost dying, we didn't takes get to see that. Ares' axe like pretty easily, but he like retreats anyway. Would have been, oh, okay. what do you guys think of, uh, the, now, in the early first shot, we get, we kind of follow Superman's just death cry. And as it spreads out, like, uh-huh. and that leads us to the Amazonians guarding the mother box, and and which I think those that rattling boxes uh-huh. are kind of scary. Like right. there's a heart. It's kind of I realized I thought that was cool. I thought that yeah. was a great and way. One to of the open things the movie. that stuck with me about Batman v Superman was like, oh, this is a little, very horror coded in a way, like like sharp cuts to black and everything. And the first time I like when I started watching this or some of this hints I had of this, I'm like where's that those elements but th- it is here in these like boxes like it's uh, it, but they're fearfully the one amazonian fearfully approaching it now right question to you guys i have is how many people do they have guarding guarding those boxes at all the time they seem to be there all the time yeah. they That's seem to know <laughs> beforehand that superman's scream is gonna reach it no i think it's very I silly i think there's always people guarding it probably on shifts you know maybe they're very well well paid on the mascara the only way it makes sense is if they had some sense that they knew that superman was in a confrontation with a life and death scenario across the world oh yeah and they were like hey maybe we need to go hang out around the box makes <laughs> sense i think that it's actually pretty heavily implied that it's like very highly respected kind of ritualistic shift work that they're all just kind of yeah. trading in and out and i buy that now i buy that but the shot that we see inside that like building mm. that they keep it's it's a ton of people well they would because they only have like bows and arrows so they're probably thinking if it ever comes back to life we're gonna need a lot of people so that's oh, like yeah. the ceremonial job is at least 50 women sure. are in there at all times or whatever there's nothing they can really do <laughs> True. Right. Well, that's why the plan was to to seal it in and to, you know, tip it off the side of a cliff, which is also not in the Whedon cut. You don't get any sense that those women sacrifice themselves. Here's a good idea. Yeah. If you have some box that a monster is going to come get, right? Yeah. Why not just put like a nuclear bomb there? It, absor- it like absorbs <laughs> the nuclear bomb. They, yeah. give, they give all sorts of explanations of that. Yeah. Can't do that, but yeah. big mistake. Remember, remember when... Uh... It, it only makes them well, stronger. Like a million knives. Just shoot a million knives. Well, that was kind of their plan. It was like 50 arrows. They don't know what's going to come out of that thing. Like, they, that's what's kind of neat about it. It's like, do they think, of, like, th- th- from their perspective, like, I think of the, it's like, is a monster going to pop out of this thing? Like, what is, they, it's a mystery to some extent. But the truth is that someone's just going to come take it. It is very right. funny, though, that, like, out of all the hiding places, man kind of just had the best idea of burying it rather than, like, make a very visible, identifiable <laughs> fucking structure. A temple. Yeah, where's half their force? Okay, probably guarding the thing I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I enjoy it. So I, that that was the thing that really kind of stuck out to me. Like, how many people are arguing that? I mean, are, are like guarding that at, at all times. Yeah. It would have been way better, like, there's just some guy. <laughs> And Superman's scream reaches it and he's like, oh, shit, I actually have a job now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sort of like a fifth element type reaction. Or, or, or you know, have, have the nuke sitting next to it. But when the, you know, the guy shows up to take it, then you just nuke the guy. Right. 
Ooh, yeah. I think a, a new could have taken out Steppenwolf, probably. Oh, absolutely. Steppenwolf, I mean, yeah, you can do whatever you want to Steppenwolf, it seems. <laughs> Steppenwolf, when he comes to actually fight, pretty weak sauce against the actual superheroes. He's just got the armor and that's it. Yeah. Well, he, uh, the moment when he, you know, they think they, uh, Amazonians think they have him taken care of by just dropping the entire building into their rocky shore. Uh-huh. And just the, that realization, like, oh, fuck, he's powering out he's powering through this i think it's right pretty good demonstration of power one thing i, I enjoyed th- that fight i oh, enjoyed I the too. fight yeah. against amazon when he just like uh, bodies like three or four of the horses at once like that was like holy shit this guy's actually yeah. grown would have been funny if like a, a longer cut had because we know that he betrayed you betrayed D- dark side if we uh-huh. had uh if actually the second Justice League movie got us a uh, background of uh, Steppenwolf's betrayal, <laughs> or if he got one of those scenes, those like music model and music intros, you know, that the other characters get. I think Steppenwolf sucks. Right? <laughs> yes. So like, I think he's a really shitty villain, and like he's Darkseid's uncle too, which is like a weird dynamic where he's like a subservient to his nephew. He's like a huge pussy. Yeah. Like he can't stand up to Darkseid at all, and like yeah. And but, oh, but that makes it funny when Darkseid just crushes his head because <laughs> Darkseid is cool as shit. Like Darkseid, like I, every time Darkseid comes on, I enjoy it more, which is another reason to change the flashback to Darkseid. He's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to see more of Darkseid because I from what I remember the comics and I uh, sorry, sorry, Kyle. But like I, I think I like Darkseid from incarnations of him. I've heard I've seen before. Uh, in like a Superman animated series I enjoyed and and some of the comics. It's very, when he comes in, there's this other, the otherworldliness of it, like is just kind of interesting. It collides in an interesting way of all, even though you have heroes that are, have these cosmic backgrounds, when Darkseid appears, something's like other that stands out. And like them looking at each other, there's a, there's like a power to that. Like, because because the superheroes are like, oh, actually, there's a guy who's way more powerful and dangerous and intimidating. <laughs> I do like that. And we just like, is like the other guy's head to Steppenwolf him. Steppenwolf is yeah. very middle management throughout the whole film. And he's just like, please, <laughs> right. please, I need a promotion. I want to come home. And they're like, no, you know. Well, this is the ambition of it is that like we're like, OK, we're put we're doing our Avengers movie, but we're going to save Darkseid for the later movie. Like, we're not going right. to rush that. So, which is a weird decision, a weird, like, we're going to rush our heroes, like, you know, our Batman is going to be introduced in a Superman sequel where he tries to kill Superman, and we're not going to do- so is everyone else. Yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not going to do a solo movies for Flash, or definitely not Cyborg, but, oh, we're going to hold off on Darkseid, we're going to give this, like, his weaker, (laughs) his old, tired failure of an uncle. (laughs) That's what they- (laughs) That's going to be Frank, enough to satiate the The fans. first movie is about Frank Biden, and we don't need Joe Biden <laughs> until the second one. <laughs> Frank, I remember seeing those, tw- like, so who tweeted about Frank Biden, a story about Frank Biden? It was like, every time I see Frank Biden, I think it's made up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I said, there's no Frank. You could just pretend there's no Frank Biden. Like, and he there's looks no like a Frank. Biden impersonator. Like, he looks like some knockoff Biden. <laughs> I think changing the flashback to Steppenwolf is actually probably a better move because when you see Darkseid just getting destroyed on his very first attempt to conquer Earth, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, this guy I think kinda, that's a bad idea. This guy got, kind of got destroyed. And like also when he lands on Earth, he slams his hammer down and the anti-life equation appears on the ground. Oh, yeah, that symbol. He doesn't remember it. 
Well, and he gets destroyed by Earth. Wouldn't you remember like the one place you've been defeated? Yeah. This is also the planet. It makes where- him a weaker villain. It's a bad move. It makes him like see, I don't want to see the big bad guy like get defeated that early, basically. Does Dark Side not have a camera? Like take a picture of and it. And it's where he lost the mother boxes. So it'd be like, shit, this is where I got defeated. And it's where we lost our most powerful weapons. And it's where <laughs> the thing I'm looking for is. Yeah. Right. So I I think making it Steppenwolf is kind of the right decision. And it's almost sort I think of like you the should first, see less yes. of Darkseid. Um, either see less of Darkseid or see more of him and just make him the villain instead of Stephen. Right. I do think if, they, if you want, if you need the history that, I don't know, why do you, do you even need the history that he was here before? Like, well, you know, the big thing they've trapped themselves in is that Darkseid is so similar to Thanos. Yes. Yeah. His mission is essentially the same. The, when he wins, right? Like, Darkseid winning is sort of a Thanos scenario from what I understand. And then they travel back like he turns, Doesn't he turn everyone evil or something? Yes. Well, no, Thanos is a little more interesting, I would say, in, in the movies. I've never seen it. Comic, I know the comic book incarnation is very different. But in the movies, Thanos is kind of a more interesting villain because he has this... It's almost the logic of a, of a, of a dictator or of a genocidal dictator. Right. In that, like, no, I want to kill half of everything. And that's going to improve a lot of these things. It's like, but doesn't so like, but Darkseid wants to just turn 100% of us evil. Yes. The anti-life equation is a mathematical concept that proves life is meaningless and that you must obey Darkseid. Okay. And that's it. But so, but I think, yeah, I just want to make everyone my slave is all right. Less yeah, interesting. that's less interesting. Yeah. So yeah, they did. They've they've trapped themselves into like they painted themselves into a corner in a lot of ways. I mean, the fact that I mean, I I agree. What you said, Melissa, earlier, like or that that it's you know that a three hour cut. This this movie does feel like needs it wants to be three hours. Right. I think, but the, but even then, I think is probably not something they earned enough goodwill to release a three hour sequel. Um, Endgame was three hours because I think Marvel built up. I imagine nothing else happens. That this is it, this weird little curiosity yeah. of a uh, of a cinematic universe that never happened. If it's they sort got of to like me. it's like a really good version of the Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> like it's this weird uh, proto cinematic universe that never happened. Really, you mean if they got this is what are you talking about? The, the state of the universe. Snyderverse. Yeah, the Snyderverse is as dead as the Dark Universe is. <laughs> Apparently, Warner Brothers didn't want to make the Snyder cut, but AT and T did. So I could see. If this gets like big enough traction on HBO Max, maybe AT&T. It'll be on the AT&T network. <laughs> They're going to do Justice League 2 on whatever that fucking AT&T network is that had a. Well, I could see them just like having, you know, the Snyderverse on HBO Max or whatever. But I don't think Snyder would want to do that. I think he'd want to. No. Probably depends on the on the the amount of control they give him. If they're like, yeah, you get to do That's what true. you want. I think he would absolutely do it. <laughs> they they gave him seventy million to finish this. So depending, I, I mean, I get a sense of way more excitement and interest in this from people that didn't even care about the theatrical cut, mainly because it's like a discourse thing, you know. I, I feel like there's more interest in this than there was in the, the theatrical cut, right? And so if he could follow it up. And if a lot of people, yeah, like are streaming it. Well, one thing you could do is just lower the stakes and have him make the fucking Batman movie, right? Have him make a Batman movie because they're clearly they clearly want to do multiple Batman right now. Yes. Yeah, I like what what Matt Reeves. It looks like he's doing like that looks interesting, but I, I, I would also like to see a continue simultaneously. I would like to see a continuation of Snyderverse Batman. I think uh, 
I can't remember if this is true or not, but I believe Zack Snyder has expressed interest in the past of continuing it as comic books, like Snyderverse comics. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't think movie people would, you know. Yeah, I don't really care much for that yeah. idea. Yeah, I, I'd rather just see like maybe the comics that are. I mean, I, I've gotten, I, I have spotty reference points. Like if people recommend stuff to me, like you know, like the, uh, certain runs that are really revered, I'll check it out and I really like it. But I, so I have more stuff to catch up with on that end. Like, oh, I just rather read the comics that are really, you know, <laughs> in that format, in that uh, melu. I'd rather just read you know, the stuff people really like that I haven't read. So that, yeah, that would be such a bummer. I, I want to see him get to, yeah, lower stakes would probably be good. Although I love to see him play around with all these characters. Right. So it's just almost like, a, you know, Justice League part two and you get to do it, you know, find what you, you know, see who, who can come back and just, you know, see what he does. Well, I think like a, a thing that I really like about the Snyderverse is that he has uniformly cast people that I really like in their roles um, which mm-hmm. is, I think, rare uh, in a lot of different, especially these big franchise films. I feel like a lot of the actors can be jarringly off or just kind of not very charismatic and pretty hard to watch. Who stands out at you, uh, to you as someone you really like that's in this, these movies? Um, I actually really like Henry Cavill. Um, I like Ezra Miller like a lot. Cavill's pretty good. I think he and he seems like and I like him in that Mission Impossible sequel a lot. I think people really like him in that Uh, for someone who's supposed to be just like a good, like an insanely good looking guy who doesn't like have any, you know, not respected as an actor. I think he does really he's done really well for himself. Yeah, because I've been been trying to watch Superman and Lois, like the TV show, and I don't find Tyler Hecklin very charming as Superman. So I find him. Pretty difficult to watch. One thing I, I liked in this was this when they awakened. I love the idea that they're struggling financially on that show. <laughs> <laughs> like, how much that. of a fuck up do you have to be <laughs> to be Superman and not sock some money away? I mean, finding shipwrecks, right? Just go find a shipwreck once. Right. <laughs> you, no one's hurt by you doing that. One thing I really liked in, I mean, the, the whole plot thing, I mean, this isn't the Whedon thing too, but the threat of or do we or do we not resurrect Superman? Like it could lead, he could just go get mad and kill us all, you know, mm-hmm. is the thing. I like that whole prem, that whole like late thing. But also when they wake him, I like that shot. The, the time of day is very eerie. You got like this kind of dusky or no, it's early morning. Yeah, I think. early morning. Um, that, 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 that kind of eerie kind of lighting. Uh, but also Henry Cavill's like expressions of disdain when they try and fight him. Yeah. Like, he's just like, eh, how, how dare you? Like, how, yeah, I'm stronger than you. Like, he has these, his facial expressions are really kind of good in that, like, kind of uh, funny, but I think fitting. I also think, like, the the scene, like, the, the action set piece of the Flash realizing Superman is almost as fast it's as so he good. is, is just, it's hilarious and scary oh, yeah. at the same time. It's extremely threatening that you you know that the Flash has never had somebody look at him before while he's doing his thing and he's just oh, yeah, like oh, they establish shit. it too because we, we've seen him show that power and have no one can see him so that's really good that we get that iris scene you know because yeah that scene when henry cavill just turns and looks he operates in the same reality he does it's very good right. yeah. and it's, it's funny because it was in that. the whedon cut too and i remember people pointing out they were like oh well that's a good thing that whedon did and i was like there's no way that whedon did that that was oh yeah you know henry cavill's <laughs> upper lip was normal and it was, you know, it was <laughs> right. way funnier, I think, than anything that Whedon added and more situationally humorous in a way that like Zack Snyder tends to do as opposed to the 
verbal humor that Whedon tends to do. I'm really I, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that there is footage sitting, you know, on a hard drive somewhere of Superman, someone in a Superman outfit that has a full on mustache. There are images you can <laughs> right. find uh, of him like with the, you know, CGI dots or whatever and makeup. But like there are images of Cavill in the suit with the mustache that you can find. Oh, it, there is. Oh, I didn't yes, know that. Oh, he, right. he looks very funny. Oh, yeah. The idea of Superman with a mustache is like insane. <laughs> what I don't understand is why didn't they like, why didn't we didn't just go, ah, oh, fuck, this looks terrible. Uh, you know, because in the comics, he comes back oh. and he's got long hair after death of Superman. It's a real tough, I mean, it was an incredibly tough situation. So like, that mustache situation. Well, what, like, what, what do you do about that? One thing is, in the comics, he comes back and he's got this mullet that he has uh, after death of Superman. Um, so just have like, so if, have, uh, like a fake mullet and a fake beard or something <laughs> and just say that oh, yeah. like, even though his body died, his cells kept growing. Right. I think that would have been a better decision. Yeah, I think definitely. If you want to hide, a better way of hiding the mustache yes. and digitally separating it. Yeah, totally. Because it looks so bad. I love the idea that like, uh, oh yeah, because they they all, like someone suggested. Well, why couldn't you make the Mission Impossible crew like just <laughs> get them to shave it for that, and then they can add a fake mustache? Why does he have to have a real mustache? And then the director of Mission Impossible is like, well, no, we have him in a helicopter. Like his like, uh, <laughs> we have scenes where he's like in a in a moving helicopter that it would just <laughs> it would blow off any fake mustache. Right. <laughs> I think um, uh, WB offered to pay to digitally put a beard on him in Mission Impossible, which would have been way easier because it's easier to just kind of track parts of a face and make hair than it is to track parts of a face yeah, and they, make they new did face. Not have, yeah. they did, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie were not people that you could convince. No, to right. do that. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie, funnily enough, actually, Christopher McQuarrie and Henry Cavill pitched a Man of Steel direct sequel to Warner Brothers. And Whoa. Warner Brothers really? turned them down. And then Christopher McQuarrie suggested a Green Lantern movie that he would want to do. And Warner Brothers turned him down. Oh, that yep. sucks. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen a... I want to see like a, a solo Superman movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would like to see another solo from from uh, Zack Snyder in particular, actually. A what from Zack Snyder? Another solo Superman movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been great if he had done Aquaman. I think the Aquaman stuff he does looks better. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I, I really don't like anything about the way that Aquaman looked, because uh, as I've said multiple times in the chat, like it, it looked like Tron, like it doesn't look like the ocean. It looks like somebody who really hates the ocean decided to make an I ocean agree. movie. I, I love the like the out of I think the action like at on land stuff is really kind of fun and kind of disposable, weird. And I like the shift of tones in the movie. I think it's sort of knows not to go too far wink wise. But yeah, like the visual of underwater stuff, which is the biggest challenge of an Aquaman movie. Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder, I think, definitely uh, achieves much better for sure. Well, you know, weird thing is that like with you could tell that. DC and Warner was playing catch up because like, I think there was some announcement at Comic-Con for like an Avengers movie when, when the Batman V Superman was first announced and you knew from their perspective, it wasn't enough. Uh, it's an admitting of failure. The fact that they couldn't just announce a man of steel sequel with like Lex Luthor as an exciting thing. Cause people didn't love that world. I like the movie, but people didn't really love what they launched with man of steel enough for that to be meaningful. Right. So they had to raise the stakes, like, oh, Batman's in it. And then they're, that's kind of when they started pay, uh, painting themselves into a corner, like, mm -hmm. where you're just, you're asking the impossible. I like that the, two weeks later, I think Marvel was like, also, we're doing a Captain America and Iron Man movie. That's yeah, totally a thing we've always been planning on doing. And 
Very, um, I also, I think that in, uh, Batman v Superman that like the script got rewritten so that Bruce just takes over the role of Lex for like large parts of the movie. Like, I think it was probably pretty much the same movie (laughs) with just a lot of kind of little extra characterization to separate out basically Batman and Lex Luthor into two separate characters. Interesting. Like probably, oh, like, uh. Some of the things Batman does in Batman v Superman are things that Lex would do. Right. And like, yeah, and screwed. things that maybe Lex would say that maybe Lex's motivation was that whole like if there's even one percent chance that he's a threat to us and we have to eliminate him sort of thing. And then they put that into into Bruce's mouth instead. And, and in a way for me that really works as this twilight of Batman's soul sort of situation where he's basically a post 9-11 paranoid. Oh, yeah. Right. That, yeah. I, I do like that aspect of it. Well, you guys, I think this went great. Yeah, great to talk it was a about. Great it. episode. All right, see you guys soon. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.